0: Today on the ZabeCast, what if I told you Redskin fans who have been waiting 25 years to escape the purgatory of FedEx Field may now only find out that Dan Snyder could be building another one. Ron Thomas will join me to blast the pouty Roy Williams, explain what stooging means, and talk about the Ryan Newman wreck plus the Astros. Your bonus, 45 minutes of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Wednesday, February 19th, 2020. Thank you for downloading. This story was quite a stunner. It's not nearly done yet, but I don't like the sound of it. Washington Post reported late on Tuesday evening. Dan Snyder may be considering building his new stadium at the site of the old FedEx field that they're currently playing in in utterly dismal, and nobody wants to get there, Raljahn, Maryland. Not technically Raljahn, as we all know here in D.C., but it's Landover, and it's the wrong place for the stadium. They built the wrong building in the wrong place, and we've been paying for it steadily every year that that team has been out there. Hasn't helped, the team has sucked, but the stadium site has been awful. Because it looks like the District of Columbia and the federal government will not relinquish their hold on that land where RFK is, that Snyder's going to have to consider other options. According to the story, a source told the Washington Post that uh, the team said all options are still on the table. (laughs) I'm like, what options? You have no fucking options. All of your non-existent options are still on the table. Great. Great. You're thinking about going back to FedEx field, the same site and building. Honestly, that will do it for a lot of fans. Of course, a lot of fans just don't go anyway. And a lot of fans still won't go. So maybe they do build a new stadium that looks nicer. That's the right size. It'll look better on TV, but many of us are just not going to go. It's too far of a schlep. It's too hard to get around the market anymore in the DMV. Um, as it was just 20 years ago, much less 40 years ago when I was growing up here in the good old District of Columbia area, the DMV. In fact, I was having this discussion just today. I walked into the studios uh, where Donnie Simpson, local DC urban radio legend, I mean legend, does his show, and I was talking to my friend, Chiller, who goes back a long way with me when he worked at the sports station uh, at 980 20-plus years ago, and Tony Perkins, beloved local TV news and weather personality as well as a radio host. I think he does weather. Anyway, I pop my head in and say, you know, my goal is to someday play golf with Donnie Simpson, who is a legendary avid golfer. And they said, yeah, you know, he doesn't play much anymore. And I go, why not? They said because he used to do mornings, now he does afternoons, he doesn't like and doesn't feel comfortable playing golf knowing he's then got to be somewhere in the afternoon, meaning in the studio in Silver Spring. And I said, of course not. Because you have no idea if you can reasonably get there anymore. You have no idea what horrific snafus could be on the roadways. And it didn't used to be that way in the DMV, I swear to God. I remember distinctly I used to be able to leave Rockville. This is very, by the way, This is, I apologize for everybody not living here in D.C. Just indulge me for, for a second. I used to get done with a national morning show in Rockville, Maryland at uh, no later than 9 a.m., 9, 9.30, and then I would get in the car and I would drive over the American Legion Bridge from Maryland into Virginia on the Beltway and then drive out Route 66, all the way to Clifton, Virginia, where Westfield's Golf Club is, and I'd play an 18-hole round of golf at a public course where the play could be slow at times. Four and a half hours. So let's see, that would take me, I'd, I'd get out there by no later than 10.30, tee off by 10.30, four and a half hours, 11, that's 3 o'clock, and then I would get in the car right away, and it would be less than an hour, would be 45 minutes consistently back to Rockville, and I'd make it by 4 o'clock. Didn't think twice about it. That was in the early 2000s. There is no chance that can be done today because of the traffic congestion that has grown up in the city. Now, you probably say, well, you know what? Don't complain. There's plenty of cities losing residents, hemorrhaging residents, with shops and industries closing. You want to be one of those? And I get it. Uh, The D.C. area, of course, is suckling on the federal teat. Government ain't ever going to go out of business. And, of course, there's a bunch of private sector now that supports the government with government contracts. And so that radiates out from the center. But anyway, I digress. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, Around John Maryland. So nobody wants to go out to, you know, Landover for a football game. There's nothing there. This new stadium has got to be. In the, in the district, and the only place is on the RFK site. And unfortunately, the federal government has to release the long-term you know, rights to the land, which they're not doing right now. And then the D.C. government also has to agree to let Dan Snyder build a stadium there and not change the name, because a number of people on that D.C. council don't like the name Redskins. Would I trade a cool, kick-ass, killer Downtown Stadium, if I gave up the name Redskins, it would have to be something where literally just the name changed, where if they became the Washington Warriors and they kept the logo and they kept, you know, the color scheme, I I could be talked into that. I still don't think Redskins is offensive and you're never going to change my mind. So you can just delete whatever email you're going to say to send to me right now. But if they become something totally different where they lose both the colors and the imagery and the concept of the native American warrior as the team name and identity, then no, I mean, then I'm completely, totally out. Hell, if they build a new stadium, out at the site of FedEx, then I'm out again. Oh, one of their other options, because Maryland really is not that ginned up on it. I don't know how they're going to get the money out there, and D.C. seems to be out. Virginia, talk about Virginia, Prince William County. <laughs> Prince William County. Prince William County, nice county, beautiful county, good people live there. But it's so fucking far out. Like, you're crazy. You'd be taking the team from one extreme edge of the market, Although, technically, it's inside the beltway. And then you'd be moving it 70 miles to the east as the crow flies? I, it's insanity. Anyway, that's uh, we'll see what happens from here. But uh, I don't like the sound of it, that's for sure. All right, time now to check in with my... Number one racing guest, Indiana-born. Hello, Steven. Ronnie! I am cutting into your valuable Terp time right now. What's the score in the game against Northwestern?
1: Uh, I I don't have it on. I just finished watching a really good game, though. It was uh, Illinois and Penn State.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, Illinois got them at Penn State, but... They have the uh, the FS1 All Access, which has the coaches mic'd up. Shut so up! Have, oh, it's great. Very limited. Wow. Very limited. Um, anything from the announcers. So you're getting a lot of the, all coaches. Are and you going?
0: Awesome. Are you going to watch the Terp game later? Are you DVRing it, or are oh, you no, just counting it as a as a win?
1: Uh, no, I'm not counting <laughs> it as a win at all. Uh, it's the big ten. Lord knows who knows. But, uh, no, I'll catch. I'll catch the
0: second half. Okay. okay. Well, all right. Well, I feel bad for taking your time. By the way, while we're on coaches, because I'll know. I'll, I know I'll forget, and then we'll get to racing. And I want your thoughts on the Astros and cheating and cheating in golf. Just whatever else is on your mind uh, this week. Okay. I was disgusted with Roy Williams' act the other night after they lost to Notre Dame. He's leaning back. At his post game presser, not even talking into the microphones. Just you know, I'm just so frustrated. And he was—he didn't give a shit. And I said, if his players did that, you know, he would rip their assholes. Saying, "Be a professional." Roy gets away with so much because he's that oh shucks southern gentleman. Dad gum at this. Dad gum at that. Fuck him. You're having a tough season. Just be a pro. I'm tired of it. There, yep. I said my piece.
1: F- well, you and Jay have your segment. You had it yesterday or today as I'm filmed or as we're recording. F T G. No. Fuck
0: that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I he, I, I have no is. tolerance for guys that just say, Well, it's a bad season, so I guess I can, you know, act out of the ordinary.
1: Yeah. I mean, God forbid he has one bad season out of right. you know, twenty twenty four. However, in my opinion, and I've said this to anybody that will listen to me, and I say the same thing about Bill Self at Kansas, that there is not a more overrated basketball coach in the history <laughs> of college basketball than Roy Williams. Wow. And Bill Self is a close second with all of the talent right. and all of the resources right. at that school. And this guy cannot get it done year after year. I, You know, he has uh and to get away with what they got away with with the cheating too with the you know with the what happened with the students people taking classes for him or whatever oh, yeah. it was you would think that he would take this year as a learning process and to say things that would be in line with the fact that he's had so many years of of success that he would speak from a standpoint of Teaching, I need to teach these kids. This is a right. life lesson. show this them. is not only the game of basketball, you know, we're down. Our fans are still hanging with us. It's North Carolina basketball. We will be back, and the kids are making strides, you know things like that
0: well, that's here's um, the thing. here's what he said last night, and this is amazing. he didn't understand how he was contradicting himself with his own body language. He said, you got two choices after their tough loss to Notre Dame on Monday night. You can compete your butt off. Or you can get in the fetal position and curl up and start crying. Here's the audio right here. Hold on. Okay. Get up in the fetal position and curl up and start crying. I'm not going to freaking do that. We're going to... Excuse me. I apologize to everybody, everybody, everybody. We're going to freaking compete. And that's what we're going to do. With it. Uh, we play Saturday. You can feel sorry for yourself. And you feel sorry for yourself. And you're going to do that the rest of your freaking life. And I apologize. I usually don't know. I don't know what I'm doing right now when I weigh I'm cursing. But see, this is like, hello, you're the one that's acting sorry for yourself. You're the guy who said we're not very talented this year. You're the guy who said they ought to fire me. Wow. Roy, look in the mirror, bud. I was
1: just going to say this is very revealing of him and his character and You know, I say again, the same thing about Bill Self also is I don't think Roy Williams is the smartest guy. I really don't. I don't know how he'd do in the business world. He's basketball. That's what he knows. I don't think he knows it as well as everybody says he does. But I have a lot of friends who are North Carolina fans, and they are over it. Yeah, They're done with it. They're ready for a new move.
0: And here's the thing. North Carolina is one in six in games decided by three points or fewer this season which would lend you to think hmm maybe the coach isn't bringing the ship home to port is he
1: steve there are two coaches that have that have done more or done less with more on a scale that is immeasurable and the two guys are bill self and roy williams and i will go to my grave saying that
0: yeah all right let's uh let's pivot to nascar i know that uh the circuit is not necessarily your favorite but you are a fan of racing, you know what these men do to get into these vehicles and travel at insane speeds. Uh, For the sport itself, what was your thoughts on the final lap at Daytona and the wreck that thankfully does not look like it is going to end up in tragedy for Ryan Newman?
1: Well, it depends on what you're
0: definition of tragedy definition of
1: tragedy right is, yeah, if he never races still...
0: again then yeah that's tragic if he's lost a leg or something we don't know about it that's a tragedy but it looks like he's going to live uh what type of life afterwards what type of career we don't know but just your thoughts my
1: thoughts um, you know i was home i was i went home this past weekend I took my son home for his birthday and went to a Butler game and we just had a really nice time. And I, you know, we were excited on Sunday. We celebrated his birthday in conjunction with the Daytona 500. So we had family over and, you know, the energy was there. We were excited. We're a racing family. The rain was a bummer. Uh, So I made time to watch it, uh, you know, on Monday and, you know, Ryan's an Indiana boy and I was, literally devastated. I was crushed. We all were. You know, I had my text friend the texting with my friends and my family and some people involved in racing and we didn't think it looked good. So my immediate uh, my immediate thoughts were with Ryan because I thought he was gone. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Then uh my immediate then my feeling after that Steve was anger. And that? the reason that I am angry is because I have been preaching this, um, you know, the the pack racing, trying to pick my words smartly here, if mm-hmm. you will. As mm-hmm. I say smartly, but <laughs> yeah. I'm um, so right. smart, smart, right. let smart. Me, yeah. Let me let me go back. <laughs> wisely. All right. You want to pick your go. words wisely I like smartly better. We're about talking NASCAR. NASCAR. I'm gonna here. say smartly.
0: While you collect your thoughts, let me quickly interject. I've always thought that you weren't that much of a NASCAR fan. But apparently, I've shortchanged you in that regard in that you do enjoy the circuit to a certain extent, even though you're an open-wheel guy by heart.
1: Steve, I used to go to the Daytona 500 every year and um, started in 89 and went up through 94. So every year I see. God, God, I bet you had an awful.
0: I get. I bet you had an awful time during that stage of your life. (laughs) Run Daytona Beach,
1: Florida. Great. Well, I went down with my family. So, quick background: my when my grandpa Carter raced Indy cars back in the 50s and into the early 60s there was a guy named bill France that used to hang around the pits uh, I've heard of him and would uh and w- did what would they would call stooge he would show up at a, at a garage and he'd knock on the garage and he'd say you need anything you need me you need me now <laughs> that was we're good that was called stooging <clears throat> it's called stooging so my <laughs> grandpa Carter said this guy just kept showing up so my grandpa in 55. At Indianapolis, finally brought France in and he was sweeping. He literally started out sweeping the floors. This is a God's honest true story.
0: Bill France, who went on to become the the chairman of NASCAR, founder of the entire circuit, Mm -hmm. the billion dollar industry that it is.
1: He wanted to learn the business and where better to learn it than Indianapolis. So I'm going to make this really fast. He hangs out. My grandfather, he works his way up to a tire changer for my grandpa Carter at Indianapolis. Well, uh, 58 rolls around and my grandpa gets a call to pick up a race car in Savannah, uh, in Savannah, Georgia, from Bill, France. And we wants my grandpa to come down and race on the beach at the 58 Daytona 500. Right. So he does it. He picks up his race car literally at a car dealership in Savannah, drives it down, races in on Route 1 in, in the beach, and races in the Indy 5. Well, afterwards, this is the crazy part of the story. So my grandpa and Bill France are out drinking, and there's a lot of drinking going on, and France loads my grandpa up in a motorcycle with a sidecar.
0: Oh, Jesus.
1: Takes him out to a swamp, and... Shines the light, or turns the headlamp over this big swamp, and he says, "I want you to build me a racetrack." So my grandpa Carter is the original architect of the speedway in terms of speed, size. Two and a, it was two Where France the swamp? To, France wanted to have swamp, a track that rivaled Indianapolis.
0: Where the swamp he wanted, was, he drove yes. him out in the sidecar to a swamp after getting him liquored up and said, I want you to build me a speedway. 100% fact.
1: So grandpa decides they're going to build a two and a half. uh, At first, France didn't want it to be two and a half miles because he thought it'd be too big. He wouldn't be able to see all the way around the racetrack. It'd be too big. Well, so the, the remedy for that, they, but he wanted speeds to rival Indianapolis. So they decided to make it two and a half miles, the same as the Speedway, and they banked it, 33-degree banking.
0: They what's, couldn't the, figure, what's the banking at Indy? It's flatter.
1: Uh, banking at Indy is nine degrees. Got it. So, I, th- I, th- I mean, I say nine. I should know. It's not 11. It's nine, but it kind of all, – all turns are the same. So. They can't figure out how they're going to get it banked, so they decide to come up with the idea to dig out Lake Lloyd in the backstretch. I'm sure you know this, but Lake Lloyd, there's a lake there because they had to dig all the dirt out yeah. to make the turns. Yeah. So Grandpa designs and builds this racetrack. He doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but he was the guy. So I'm I'm telling you this, Steve, because NASCAR is in my blood. It is. See,
0: now this, I I, never knew this.
1: Well, I I never knew this. That's great. I grew up watching, I mean, Buddy Baker and David Pearson and the boys. I mean, that's all I was watching CBS back in the day with um, Chris Okonomacki and, all the guys calling the race. I must
0: have so, conflated you with somebody else who, no, who, so what who, happened was, who dismisses NASCAR as driving a bunch of taxi cabs.
1: No. Now, then, when when the racing changed so much, so, so fast forward to 2001. Earnhardt gets killed, okay? Yep. Knee-jerk knee reaction is we've got to make the cars safer. So they come up with the car of tomorrow. But they don't understand. The reason that Earnhardt died is because – and I know this firsthand because my dad
0: he customized yeah, his shoulder strap his seat belt. to seat be belt? more and, yeah to be more. Comfortable. And I know all that. I was just
1: talking to my dad about it. I keep my name yeah. dropping, but my dad was represented Bill Simpson, yeah. who went on to be his best friend. And Bill Simpson su- and my dad sued NASCAR, and they won. So because NASCAR blamed the the seat blamed the seatbelt for tearing, and that's why Earnhardt killed. So Simpson starts getting all of these you know, threat. Now, I'm going to kill you. He's a phone. Oh my calls, God. Thumb- Can oh, you so
0: imagine? It. Oh yeah. The redneck death threats. Well, now to the here's guy the who was blamed by NASCAR for a defective seatbelt yes. that killed well, here, Dale. Here's fucking the kicker. Senior.
1: Here's the kicker. Two weeks before Dale Earnhardt and Bill Simpson, Are sitting in a tree stand in Kannapolis, North Carolina, on Dale's property, with guns. Sitting in a tree stand, never taking a shot, but drinking a bottle of you know drinking whiskey, and telling stories. And they were best friends. So this guy gets blamed. Okay, so so then he gets killed, and they decide that they need to make these cars safer. Okay. So they come out with the car tomorrow, Steve.
0: Listen, Safer
1: barriers, the chase
0: devices, et well, cetera.
1: They didn't have any shit to do with the safer barrier. That was Tony George at okay. the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Right. But So what they do is they decide they're going to make them safer, but they're going to leave the restrictor plates on them. The restrictor plate and pack racing is what makes this race or makes the racing appealing to the viewer, they think. Now, viewership is down in NASCAR,
0: way down. They think it's appealing because
1: there's a lot of wrecks. Yeah, they think everybody turns it on together. to watch
0: the wrecks. Listen, right. the real race fans,
1: the real race fans like to watch their fucking guy win. They like True. to watch their guy finish. It's a brand loyal
0: group. They they also want to see cars that are raceable. And uh, what I understand is the car tomorrow, it just it's not raceable. It's not well, like see the other it. cars are. How,
1: how, how is your skill revealed when you are ra- running in a pack and a guy, three cars in front of you, you're bumping, bumping, bumping. Some guy loses it, you know, some joker who yeah. bought his ride, first of all, loses it and takes out 16 cars. Okay. I know. Is that racing, cars. Steve? Is that racing? No. So racing is back in the day, and in the late 90s, early 90s, yeah. even into the feels- 80s, when Bill Elliott ran 212 miles per hour at Talladega. Awesome, Bill, from Dawsonville. That was racing. Let the guys race they, they you know they can handle the speed for god's sake yeah they well, can handle it
0: anyway um just to sort of you know go back to the crash itself it's amazing that they've built a car in which a guy can live after a crash like that am i right it is oh yeah you're right
1: <laughs> but they shouldn't have to build a car that is like that that's my point
0: but there's I gonna mean, be I know wrecks a, at some point aren't there, there are,
1: There are going to be wrecks, Steve, but But you shouldn't have a race where, I mean, my God. And Newman came down and blocked. Newman came down and blocked Blaney, but Blaney could have backed off. But, you know, we're going for the win. They're going for the win. Bullshit. You're trying to respect your fellow competitors. And if he's ahead of you, let him win the fucking race. You don't win by crashing. And the real race fan like me I don't watch it. I'm not going to watch it when you have to get into overtime and green-white checkered, and it takes 45 minutes to run the last three laps of the race. That's bullshit, not to mention the fact, and I've heard this from Chip Ganassi's mouth, This is it's too expensive.
0: <laughs> right? these,
1: cars are, these cars are getting the shit beat out of them for the money that they're making.
0: The they're, purse, they're too expensive the with all the money having been drained out of the sport following the tobacco lawsuits. And following, you know, the stars that were carrying the sport all retiring in a boom, boom, boom fashion or dying. Yes. In the case yep. of, you know, Dale Sr.
1: Yeah. And see, the fact that or the, the, the idea that, or the fact that this is the first fatality since Dale Sr.
0: It's, whoa, it's, whoa. Ama- whoa, it's it, not the first fatality. Don't kill uh, off Ryan Newman just yet.
1: No, 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 no. I'm saying, so, no, I'm sorry. I'm saying this would have been that. The first it would have been. I didn't okay. mean that. I didn't mean yeah. that. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> I was like, that this shit. would have, No, no, that this would have been the first fatality since Dale senior. I mean, that's pure luck. That's pure luck. Yeah. And here's the ironic thing is Ryan Newman, South Bend, Indiana, Purdue engineering graduate, graduated from engineering school, went immediately into the short tracks, sprint cars, midgets, silver crown champ cars he cut his teeth on the dirt. Okay. Well, he came to race NASCAR cause he was so good. And Tony Stewart and those guys knew he was good. He kind of came in, he's Tony's older than him, but this guy was the real deal. Well, the irony is, is he had a crash and he damn near got killed. And it was a similar accident where the roof, one of, you know, the roof kind of collapsed. Yeah. So he, he went to NASCAR and he said, we need to put a bar above the driver. And I'll be damned if that bar didn't save his life, a reinforcement
0: yeah. bar. I heard today, because I, I tuned into to uh, NASCAR radio on Sirius XM, which, trust me, I haven't been on that channel for more than a hot second. <laughs> Chocolate it Myers fucking, and it, the boys. It, I, who, I don't know who it was, but it was like, I was all about it, because I'm fascinated by this stuff. And the guy on there was saying that all the different bars inside the cockpit of these cars are named General. after different drivers based on accidents where they said, oops, we need another bar here. We need another yep. bar there. He also said how, yeah, we used to make these cars. We'd build race cars, and we'd, we'd go get that, uh, that, that black foam that they would put on the outside of air conditioner tubes, and we'd wrap that around the bars, and we'd look at it and be like, that's real good. And then we realized it didn't do shit. <laughs> no. That yeah. if your arm hit that bar in the foam padding, he's like, yep. it would do nothing. So now they use this stuff that he said, it feels hard to the touch. But it actually gives if it hits at a high impact.
1: Well, it's the same stuff that they put on the safer barriers between the the metal and the wall. Right. So if you don't mind, I'd like to end my part with this. There's two things NASCAR needs to do to become relevant. One, the pack racing, they need to punish guys that bump and bump draft. And this is bullshit. Bump drafting is not racing. Okay. You're getting in line. And uh, pushing people to the lead and bump drafting is, it, it's not racing, but the cars are designed to do that. The, right. the bumpers are square. They're designed to absorb this. That's not racing when you're 200 miles per hour, 33 degree banking, you know, you're A pack literally of sideways. 20
0: cars, nose to Exactly.
1: Tail. All right. So that. But the restrictor plate needs to come off these cars, just take away some horsepower and then take, you know, but take the restrictor plate off. But here's the here's how NASCAR is going to become relevant again. You have manufacturers. People used to go to these races because they were driver loyal. Of course, Earnhardt. They were a Chevy
0: guy or a Ford guy.
1: That's it. They were a Chevy guy or they were a Ford guy. They were a Dodge guy. All right. All these cars used to run. I mean, there used to be fucking Dodge Plymouths out there running. I know. Okay, so here's what you need to do. You allow the manufacturers to design with and guidelines, safety guidelines, a car that looks like a Ford, a car that looks like a Chevy. These are all stickers. These are decals that they have on these cars. This right. People will call this a pipe dream, what I'm saying, but people are not rooting anymore for a Ford or a Chevy or a Toyo- Toyota because they're the exact same cars. All they have is a little bit different decal package, and the front ends are a little bit different. I
0: am looking. I am looking at uh, just Google search nineteen eighty two, Daytona five hundred, and I am looking at Kyle Petty's number forty two STP car with the light blue and the red, yeah. and it's got what looks like headlights and a front grill on it, and it's boxy. Like a yeah. sedan, I, yep. I don't even know what that car, what the temple of that car is, <laughs> but other guys have it as well. It's a Buick. Oh, <laughs> it's a Buick. they, yeah, they had <laughs> Monte 82. Carlos. They had
1: Ford They had the Plymouth. The uh, Plymouth. Um, oh, I forget the name. They had like when Petty started winning, he won in the Roadrunner, the old Pl- with the big wing on the back, right the high wing, right. Yes.
0: Well, people, I don't know. People, it's, I don't it's, know it's, if we can ever go back, Ronnie. I think the sport is where it's at. And, the sport uh, is dying, Steve. It can't go. It can't is, sit where it's is at. Is it dying or is it just falling back to its its level?
1: Well, I, I heard you say that barstool sports getting involved. All that bullshit. Listen, it's dying. You know what? Bristol used to. They used to bring a hundred and fifty thousand people I in that know. place. They built that thing up exactly for this. Now to make money, they have to have Tennessee play a football game there or the Rolling Stones play a concert there. This sport is dying. It's not settling in where it should be. It is dying. They don't have TV viewers they, because people are yeah. sick and tired of it. You can't turn on a race and watch a demolition derby. Here. People who like racing aren't going to watch that shit. And finally, if their driver gets knocked out, what's the point of pulling for a driver?
0: That's You're right. Here's a quick uh, email I got from Jamie Houston about the decline of NASCAR. He said, uh, they changed the design of the cars so drastically to something fans hated, which is the car at tomorrow. Also, coming out of that, the three biggest stars retired three years in a row, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Jr. That wiped out easily, he says, over 50% of the people that attended races, based on merchandise you would see fans wearing at the track. And then he says, yeah, the cars are technically covered with sponsors, but go look at them more closely. <laughs> Many of them are companies you've never heard of. Oh yeah. And they're paying a rate significantly lower than it cost 10 or 15 years ago to sponsor a car. That is true. I you know used to be able to look at a NASCAR grid and say that is a who's who of n- well-known American corporations. Tide, right.
1: Budweiser. Gatorade, Budweiser,
0: McDonald's, yeah, yeah. M&Ms, Burger King, and now it's Target. like Target right target <laughs> and now it's like uh you know com yes. 28 car
1: yes five hour energy just kidding I know hey! shit. Hey! that was a joke that was a okay joke.
0: that's all right fair enough all right well look let's uh let's hope that uh, we continue to get some uh, good news better news um from Ryan Newman going forward and uh and we'll see
1: Okay. I fear the worst. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, jeez.
0: All right. Not not
1: the worst worst, but I feel but not I, good. I, I, the, yeah, you're, you're feeling
0: I, like the next bit of news will not be as good as the news nope. of he's alive. Nope. 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 The way okay. the news cycle's coming out. So Okay. Uh let's talk about this. Um, the Astros scandal. Dying to hear your thoughts on this. Because it's not over. And the more it's amazing, Ron, that more and more. High profile players, the kind of players who you would think might keep their powder dry a bit or be worried about their own sort of, you know, image or brand and might pull back on criticism, are blasting the Astros. Aaron Judge today was the latest one to do it. This followed Mike Trout, who was unequivocal in blasting these guys. Nick Marcakis said, though, all those guys need a good beating this is remarkable I'm I'm stunned what are your thoughts uh
1: I think it's not only is it justified but I feel that the the only way that and Manfred whatever his name is Rob yeah. Manford is a jackass I mean that's been revealed the more this is a nightmare for him because he's obviously a guy who wishes he could be more behind the scenes because yeah. he wasn't ready for this well, you know, he kind of made his own bet here, and he even came out and said, we should have done more. We should have acted earlier upon all the information we had. That's a that's not a proactive commissioner. How about him a,
0: today having to walk back his statement about calling the World Series oh, trophy I heard a piece it. You of know, I, was
1: t- I, I can't make an excuse for that. It was disrespectful. What kind of – who says that? A the fucking lawyer. A,
0: game. <laughs> a dweeb ass lawyer yeah. who probably has never played a, a game in his life. By the way, Jay was spot on. When talking about uh, Correa missing the boat on their owner, Jim McLean, like he doesn't know. Was what he a single A player? Yes, he was. Oh, my. Minor God. league baseball player. <laughs> How great is that? Fucking Correa, Correa doesn't even know his own fucking owner's backstory. Good job uh, on that one. No, here's the Bellinger thing. Didn't oh, yeah, Bellinger didn't to- Oh, yeah, Bellinger. Bellinger. Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing about, um, you know, this statement about it's a hunk of metal. I get what Manfred was saying there. But what he doesn't understand is that essentially everyone who competes in sports is, of course, playing for just a hunk of metal. That's part of the purity and the beauty of sport, that none of this matters, as I like to say. This is all for just fun and entertainment and personal development and seeing how good you can get. It is a game. And so, yes, they're paid professionally insane amounts of money, but... Every sport is always played for just a stupid little medal or a trophy or a hunk of something. That's the essence of sports. And he That's didn't right. get how he was shitting on it by saying, well, what's the big deal? It's just a hunk of metal.
1: Yeah, it's so revealing. I, 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 the, can the owners push him out?
0: Uh, sure they could, but I don't know if they want to. It's sort of like Goodell. They want yeah. Manfred up there taking the arrows. They don't want them taking the incoming right. fire. Steve, so. I th-
1: I, I think that what we're seeing, like I said, it's it, the offense is so egregious that as a baseball player who ultimately was cheated, regardless if your team has cheated a little bit, you know, or is it's one of those glass houses things. But there is no way, no way that any team w- took it to this level. And but I think what is bothering a lot of these players and it's bothering me, truthfully, is the arrogance oh, yeah. with which this team played.
0: Oh, you know, that, not only just how they, they play it. the
1: fucking bat toss
0: that the, the, <laughs> yes. the 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 Bregman toss. bringing the bat oh, to first base. Oh, and and when that. they were winning in 2017, and I heard this tonight driving home on, on the baseball channel on Sirius XM, they said that, you know, a lot of the players on the Astros were talking shit every time they'd hit a home run mm. after game saying, yeah, they should have walked me. They should have mm-hmm. had more respect for me. And now you're like, oh, well, did you know what was coming? Because fuck you, because that's a really mm-hmm. dirty, dirty way to cheat. And, it, and, it's and, not over, and it's it, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. But, Steve, uh, how yeah.
1: about this? How about El Tuve? He literally became a, a sensation. Of, uh, it, it, it people looking up to him, small guys, small players I love the looking guy. up to the – he about was one of my him, favorite it's guys. all a fucking farce. It's all a farce. I know.
0: I wonder what our boy Kurtz will say about it. Is he, if he comes to Pinehurst this year, I hope we can shake him free. He's a baseball dad, a baseball player himself.
1: Yeah. We'll have to get some cocktails in him, and he'll let
0: go on it. Can't you
1: see him with the smoke in one hand and the cocktail in the other? I don't, <laughs> I, don't
0: I don't think it'll be hard to get cocktails in Kurtz. No. <laughs> hey, all.
1: How, about, how, how about the All-Star game? I know you talked about it with Jay, but let me get first, your thoughts. Well, the first part of it, I agree with you completely. It was the typical layup line, but that fourth quarter was pretty intense. I, I yeah. didn't understand why they didn't make substitutions. I mean, Lowry on the floor at the end, although he did, you know, he played pretty well uh, late. But I just thought that they could have brought some fresh bodies in. But I think everybody was so kind of enthralled in it, right. what was taking place on the court, that to disrupt it. Those ten guys would have kind of thrown a monkey wrench into the whole situation because those guys were engaged. They were there. They were going to be the the deciders. But there, I was thinking about that bench. There were a lot of guys you could have put in. Who I were know. Fresh.
0: Well, that's the know? thing. These guys are the elite of the elite. They're freaks. And yeah. and what what I would just love to see, and we get a little bit of this with the Olympics because now the rest of the world is caught up that if we don't send the best of our best. We're likely to lose in Mm -hmm. international basketball, and that's a testament to Latvia,
1: Lithuania. Yeah,
0: that's a testament to the globalization of the game. But I just would love to see what it would look like with two teams of NBA badasses going at it hard, because I think it'd be compelling. I also think it would be very low scoring. I think the defense would be unbelievable if these guys put their effort into it. So it might be a game that's in the 80s like we had during the late Jordan run. I I watched the final sequence of plays in the Jordan versus the Jazz finals with the shot after the push off of poor Brian Russell uh to win in game 6. <laughs> and and I watched the, the the final series and like the final score in that game was like I think it was 81-79. Yeah.
1: Well, at the end of that All Star game, we saw how hard it's to, uh, it is to score when yeah. you've got when you've got the Greek freak. That block he made on LeBron's LeBron layup—crazy! Was, it was super. It was and it, the drama with whether or not it touched the glass or not. But here's <laughs> here's the thing: you know me I, as a former basketball official, I'm always thinking from a referee standpoint. You're like I want to call that a, a trap. Well, no, no, no. Poor Mark Davis. He wasn't ready for this shit. The way that LeBron and those guys were coming at him no. at the end of that game. Right. It was incredible. They're thinking, you know, they get the assignment and they tell their wife and their kids, you know, we're going to Chicago, although he's a local guy. A yeah, I'm doing,
0: guy uh, but, and Mark Davis he, is the uh, referee here. talking. Yes, about and,
1: but he, he's thinking, oh, you know, I get to have this all-star game. It's going to be so great. It's going to be a poor fucking guy. They were coming at him so hard at the end of that yeah. game. He thought it was a it night was off. Intense. It was know. intense. I loved it. I did. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, but the, I I wouldn't have loved it if one of them got hurt because they were laying out. I, mean,
0: I know there was some shit going on. Life is full of risk, Ron. Guys get hurt. <laughs> You're you funny, know. but you know
1: what I mean. It's, I, know I know. You know what it's
0: supposed. to I be. know. I know. I know. I look. I'm a I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of any all star competition or all star ish competition in which the guys really try. That's why for you and I, we love the Ryder Cup. It's essentially an all star game of golf. And because of the nature of the game of golf, you're like these guys do not want to lose. They do not jack around and go ah, it's just an exhibition. So what? I'm three down. They're pissed. They're competitive. You know they're the best players yep. in the world. Um, and golf affords that luxury because it's non contact. So you're not worried about getting hurt. But man, they. I mean, what other sport do guys ball openly in public if they lose their match? Like Calcavecchia at, at Kiowa, it's ridiculous. It's yeah, insane. It or Hunter Mahan chubbing a chip like a 12 handicap or under pressure so i loved the olympics uh when they had it in canada that was the one where Sidney crosby scored the gold medal winning goal and that was the one in vancouver the olympics in vancouver yeah, it was awesome because yeah. it was in it was in our time zone you got full participation from all nhl players and it was intense hockey Yes, and it, it was. It was full bore and it was great. I'd love to see that in basketball, but at least we how, got one quarter of it. So that was good. Real quick, how, I'm gonna, yeah.
1: How, how about Kepka 50 50 on the Olympics? He said. Not because of it, You just said it today. I'm fifty fifty. I don't know. He said I got a lot going on and <laughs> he's such 50, a fifty fifty on the Olympic he is a dick. He's such I've a dick,
0: I sort I sort of like it though. In a way. Yeah,
1: fuck him. Fifty fifty, <laughs> you know. He just he's too cool for school is what the deal is with Brooks Kemp. Hey,
0: as, man. You and know. you know what? And as long as he still wins a major or two going forward. And as well, long as that doesn't
1: as- give you the right to I well, whatever, he can be however he wants to be, but so I can say you know what I, I I'd love to play in the Olympics. I'll see if how it works out, but no, his typical kept answer. You know I'm, me, I'm you I'm know 50. me,
0: I'm you know me, I'm conflicted the, on the Olympics. I I dearly love the ideal of it. And the concept of it, but the organization is an international crime syndicate.
1: I understand that, but we're talking about the players of the game that you and I love. I know. I mean, did you see how happy was Kuchar with a silt with a bronze? He said it was one of the neatest oh, things he'd ever fuck.
0: done. Of all the fuck the guys, fuck that guys in the world. Kuchar is number one. I mean, Why? he's smiling anyway. He's got a big dumb smile. He rolls out a bit. Hey, yeah, teacher. but you can have that. What a perfect guy future. to get this to get the bronze. <laughs> exactly. Has that golf course closed yet in Brazil? Oh shit! What a mess. I need that to was. Google that one. But yeah, cool. all right. Uh, is that it for today, Ron? Yep, that's it. All right, you go Thanks watch for... your beloved terrapins. Thank you for the insight. I now know what stooging means. In old school NASCAR terms, which is just poking your dumb hillbilly head inside a garage base saying, oh, new day health. That's
1: racing and racing in general, not not NASCAR. That was at Indy. So Staging. yeah, Staging.
0: All right. Very good. buddy
1: boy. Paid. You, might, you, hey, you might get a bologna sandwich and a soda and that's your payment. There you go. All
0: right, buddy. We'll talk to you next All week. Right, Thanks.
1: Brother. See ya. Bye.
0: We will end on this today. Glasgow dad stuck with permanent erection and constant pain after penis operation. James Scott is now a prisoner in his own home as he can't even put on trousers because he's in agony and can't bear anything to touch it. This happened after the 57-year-old suffered four injuries in his go go groin area, a fractured bone at the bottom of his spine, lacerations on both legs, and a blocked urethra. This after one and a half tons of glass fell on him at work four years ago. He's a glazier, uh, which I guess has to do with the production of glass. So now he had an operation to fix what was left of his manhood, and they've left him with a permanent boner. He says that he can't even put on trousers and is in constant pain. He also can't have his nine-year-old daughter around to visit him as he can't get rid of his now permanently stiff penis. He claims doctors have refused to visit his home to sort out the painful problem. There are photos of this guy wearing nothing but a towel around his waist and looking like he is in complete and utter agony. Surely we have the medical technology to maybe, you know, take this guy's penis down a notch. Can't we possibly do that? I mean, I don't know what's involved about it, but we got to help this guy out. As great as it seems to sound like, I'd love to have a rock hard boner all day, every day. Why not? Well, at some point you got to let that dog rest just a bit. Good luck to, uh. Good luck to Mr. Uh, James, what's his name? Scott. Sounds like a horrific thing. Way to end on a good note. Well, I had to end on something. I always work a penis story in there. Why not? I'm a man. think about that thing all the time. That'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, Zabe Vegas, filling up fast. Only 64 bids. 64 is the max. I've got 37 as of last check, so the bids are starting to roll up. Go to Zave.com slash ZaveVegas and find out more. We're going to be at Top Golf with the MGM Grand on Friday this year. Friday, so if you can't get off to get there in time for Thursday, it's on a Friday, the 27th of March, Sweet 16, 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. I hope to see you out there. We're going to have a fabulous time. Food and drinks included this year. Top Golf Unlimited. Private Room. TVs to watch the games and yes a live Zabe cast with myself Mr. X charge and hopefully some others as well all right thanks for listening have yourself a great Wednesday and we will see you next time